0: And if you'll kindly, if you're able, uh, remain standing and uh, I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter eight, uh, beginning at verse 28. Uh, This, as you may know, is one of the richest uh, chapters in all of the Bible. A couple years ago, I did a series, a three part series just on this chapter. uh, And I remember feeling like, boy, I needed about 10 more weeks for that series. So I'm going to attempt to talk about this chapter in one Sunday, impossible, but they're so rich. I'm going to read uh, the end of the chapter uh, and then we'll reference uh, different parts. So here now, uh, God's wonderful word. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those who Whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own Son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? For I am convinced convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. If you've been with us, you know that last week we talked about Romans chapter 7, where Paul is struggling uh, in a very personal way with his sin. with, with uh, He says, I, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do. And he's wrestling with all of this. Why can't I be the better person? Why can't I do the things that God requires? And it's his struggle. And at the end, he said, wretched man that I am. Paul looked at his life. In the light of God, and he said, wretched man that I am. Who's going to rescue me? Who will rescue me from this body of death? And this morning we hear the beautiful answer to that thought and that question. Let us pray. Lord, these, these words are yours. And so we ask that these eternal words that do not change, that you would speak them. Humbly we ask. Be able to hear the voice of your Holy Spirit this morning. Amen. I'm gonna pull three verses from this chapter out and 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 talk about them. There are many, every verse in this chapter could be pulled out to discuss, but I want to consider three this morning. And the first is verse 18. Paul said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. Have you ever wanted to run away? Have you ever had that urge to get in your car, drive off to nowhere, to some unknown place where you could hide and where no one, not even your family, could find you? No? Well, me neither. I've never had that thought, but <clears throat> but usually when, when we get to that point, when we... When we get like this, common sense intervenes and we suppress the urge to disappear. And usually in those times, we find less drastic ways uh, of hiding. We retreat to places within ourselves uh, where no one can touch us. We go to those special places that have become kind of a sanctuary for us. In the Old Testament, King David had such a place. In Psalm 32, he wrote this, You are talking to God. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. David knew about hiding. He knew about the need to retreat and hide because he spent most of his life running from King Saul. He found a cave where he could hide out, where he could commune with God and be reminded of all that is right in the world when there was so much wrong going on outside The cave became a place of protection, of comfort, of security. It was the one place that was always sure, regardless of where he was and what situation he found himself in. That place became synonymous with God's protection and presence. He could hide in God's love and God's care. Maybe you have a special place like that where you can go. Um, But that doesn't help stop us from creating other places of refuge. Some of us hide in a good book or a mindless TV program or maybe a drive to the country. Some of us take solace in daily routines. Others hide maybe listening to music. Where do you hide when life becomes too much? When the stresses, the pressures start caving in? Um, Sometimes people say we shouldn't run away. I'm not sure I agree with that completely. We do need a place. Maybe we all need a secret place where we can gather our thoughts, regain our vigor. Where we can find and hear and experience the love of God, the care. Because the pressures of this world and this life can be so demanding. Paul talked about all of creation groaning. There's a groaning going on around us. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Some of us need to hide from our work, the pressures. Some of us need to get away from our family, our kids. Some of us need to hide from the mistakes of our past or anxiety about the future. Paul experienced all of this, all of it. But he also had a place. He also had a a place to retreat to that offered quiet, where he was always welcome, a place where he could be himself, where he could take off his mask. Paul knew it was a place that he could run to in times of fear, where he could go when he was hungry, when he was drained. And he called this place the love of Christ. When we're hiding there, Paul says, (coughs) we're hiding in the love of Christ, Nothing can touch us. Nothing can get to us. Nothing can defeat us nor break us. The author Frederick Buechner passed away this past year, and he wrote once about his grandmother, Naya. She was born in Washington, D.C., two years after the assassination of Abraham Lincoln and lived well into her 90s. And like everybody else, she had happy times, She had sad times. She had her weaknesses. She had her strengths. She lived through the Depression. Um, She had good luck. She had bad luck. But what makes her so rare, Buechner says in my experience, is that no matter what happened to her, she seemed to always remain remarkably and invincibly herself. Even when her life was shattered by death by the people around her, the people that she loved and other kinds of loss or failure, she seemed to remain serene and intact, that it was as if she lived out of some deep center within herself that was beyond the reach of circumstance. He says, "I, I picture her lying in her bed in a nursing home within a few months of her death in 1961, by which time she was in her 94th year and too old and frail with a broken hip to live anywhere else. And although in just about every other way She was the same person that I had always known. What drew me to Beekner's description of her grandmother, of his grandmother, was what he said about her inner room. Her inner room. There was a room inside of her that was neither dark nor little, and in that room she remained beautiful and at peace. It's a beautiful description of someone who deep within their soul lived with a contentment. Lived and could retreat to that place where they knew that no matter what was going on around them, that they were loved deeply by Christ. And that place was beyond the reach of circumstances. This is the place that Paul lived. This is the place that Paul retreated to and could refocus his life. Because there in that place... He knew he was loved so deeply and he was forgiven. Paul reminds us, and Christ calls us to live in that place, to hide in that place, to retreat to that place the love of Christ. Paul says nothing can get to us when we're there. There we are reminded that ultimately we are safe. There we receive hope for the future. There, when we live out of there, we can face any difficulty, suffering, or grief. In verse 28, Paul says this, We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good for those who love God, called according to purpose. This is one of the most frequently... repeated verses in all the Bible. Um, We hear this phrase uttered a lot. All things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. But I think it's also one of the most misunderstood verses in all of the Bible. It's very tempting to think that when we become a Christian, we will be safe and we will avoid hardship and suffering. See, when Paul retreated to his secret hiding place, it didn't protect him from all hardship and suffering. But it created in him a knowledge and an understanding that he could withstand any hardship and suffering. He could get through it all. It's tempting to think when we become a Christian, we will be safe and avoid all this. But this verse says that all things happen to Christians. That is, the Christian circumstances are no better than anyone else's. And it's really important that we grasp this, that we understand that if we're going to experience the relentless, tender love of Christ, If we're going to experience that, terrible things will happen to people who love God. Many Christians explicitly teach and most Christians maybe implicitly believe that if we love and serve God, then we will not have as many bad things happen to us. And that is simply not true. Horrible things can happen to us. And believing and loving and serving God will not keep them from happening. All the same things that happen to everybody else will happen to people who love God. Sometimes we use this verse to say, no, if you love God, then all things are going to be actually good things. No, that's not what he's saying. We know that all things work together for good. This verse is written from the perspective of heaven. From heaven's perspective, all creation is moving towards a culmination. All things will ultimately someday be redeemed and restored, and that'll be good. Paul's not saying that doesn't mean that you'll never trip and fall and stumble. Years ago, when our then two children, um, Andrew and, and Hannah, were, were little, um, I had this great idea that I would give Julie a break for a few days, and I would drive them to San Diego and give her a break. And I would just take the two. And, and our oldest son, Andrew, has pretty much nonverbal autism. And traveling with him is not easy. So in my bra- bright idea, now remember, I'm giving Julie a break. This is a good thing, right? I'm doing a good deed. I, I'm really honorable at this point. Doing a good deed. I'm going to take them. O- we're going to go to the beach. I'm giving them a break. But traveling with Andrew is not always easy. And so I thought, well, here's what we'll do. I'll dr- We'll drive at night. We'll drive at night. Maybe he'll sleep. Great, great idea. So I've got Honor on my side, I've got good right thinking on my side, um, all these things. Dad of the Year Award is coming. Boy, it's all situated just right. Now, some of you, many of you have driven this drive from here to San Diego. And you know that there are long stretches of nothing. Well, late at night during one of those long stretches of nothing, we started to have car trouble. Didn't see this coming. The battery light kept flickering, and I could see the lights dimming, and there was a problem with the charging system in the car, and I didn't know what to do. And so we had to pull off, and we couldn't continue. There was nothing during this long stretch. We had to pull off the road, and I'm starting to think about the terror of this, being with these two littles, and in the middle of the night, in nowhere. Well, on the exit that we went off, there was, and you've seen this, You've seen it. You, you, you instantly are going to know what I'm talking about. There was the worst looking hotel you have ever seen in your life. I mean, terrible. It, and you would, drive by it. I drive by You drive by this and you go, no one would ever stay there. <laughs> no one in their right mind. It just looked like you couldn't possibly. Well, we were stuck. What are we going to do? I couldn't get the car worked on until the morning. So we go into this hotel. We get a room. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. I mentioned that our son is pretty much nonverbal. He'll repeat some songs and phrases. We walk into this hotel room, Hannah and Andrew, and Andrew says, this is a dump. <laughs> <It's like that. laughs> to this day, I don't know where that came from. It was the groaning that Paul talks about. And all this time, I'm sitting there going, never a truer statement has been uttered. But you remember that noble pursuit. Remember all these things. They all turned on me. And my inner dialogue was, Lord, why? How come this is not fair? Why is this happening? Just going through all of that. All of it. It's a whole lot of stuff. Why, 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 why? You know, I was thinking, if the manager of that hotel had walked in at that moment and said this, if he had come up to me and saw my face and said, well, you know, all things work together for good for those who love God, (laughs) who are called according to his purpose. I probably would have lost it. By the way, don't use that verse with someone who's in trouble. Just a little tip. It's no good. It's not what it's there for. Why? Why? Do I bring this up? Because this. Teresa of Avila, one of the great saints. Teresa of Avila. Saint Teresa said this In light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will be seen to be no more serious than one night in a bad hotel. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Consider Paul's life. Shipwrecked. Stoned, imprisoned, mocked. You think in those moments you think, well, hey, this is fun. All, all things work together for good. No. He wasn't. Paul didn't seek out the comfortable jobs. He never made enough money to retire. He was interrupted continually. He was chased and beaten. Did he have a stress or grief-free life? Absolutely not. All the facts are against it. And yet no one in all of human history has written so convincingly, so autobiographically about being content and having the hope and and receiving the love of Christ as did the Apostle Paul. Because deep down he knew that whatever I'm experiencing now, in the light of heaven, in the light of eternity, it's just going to feel like a one night in a bad hotel. That doesn't discount that suffering. But from the perspective of heaven, I can endure all things because why? Because all things are moving towards a glorious culmination in which all things someday will be restored in glory. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Paul says. He asks, will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Note here, note what he's saying. He doesn't say we won't experience all these things. He says what could separate us from the love of Christ in those things? Do you hear this? It's important. Paul's saying, "We will face hardship, we will face distress, we will face persecution, we will have famine and nakedness and peril and sword, but even those things cannot separate us from God's love." leads us to verse 37 Paul says no in all these things now he's talking about the things we just mentioned he's talking about when we go through hardship, suffering, nakedness, peril persecution, famine, sword even death he says when we go through these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us we are more than conquerors The word here, the Greek word is hyper conquerors (laughs) beyond. It's amazing. We're still winning, Paul says. i I shared with some of you um, this story because I love it so much about Jonathan Edwards, the greatest maybe theologian that America's ever produced. And he was a pastor and the first president of Princeton. In 1750, the members of his church voted by a margin of 10 to 1 to fire him. And 10 days later, he preached his final sermon to them as their pastor. And the reasons why he was fired are, it's a long story that has to do with everything from he made some mistakes to some disputes over salary, envy in the town. Some people said he was cool and aloof. Um, There were extended problems with his extended family. But at the core of it, there was just some theological differences about how communion was to be served. He had been their pastor for 23 years. When he was fired and they had a trial, they had proceedings. And during that proceeding where he was going to be fired, he was remarkably calm so much that he was admired by his opponents. One of his opponents wrote this in his diary. I never saw the least symptom of displeasure in his countenance the whole week, but he appeared like a man of God whose happiness was out of the reach of his enemies and whose treasure was not only a future but a present good, overbalancing all imaginable ills of his life. Think about that. Man being fired by his close congregation, the people. People saying terrible things about him in the trial, and he sat there with a calm, an inner calm, as if to say, this can't touch my hiding place. This cannot this circumstance can't touch because I live there. I live in a place called the love of Christ. Do you have that inner place, that hiding place? A place where you can retreat to? Do you have that place where you can be lost in the love of God? And in that place, can you hear the tender voice that speaks to you personally and tenderly today? That voice says, do you think that anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between you and Christ's love for you? Think about all the worst things you go through. Paul asks, he says, yeah, I know. But do you think that even that? is going to be able to take away or separate you from Christ's love? He says, not trouble or hard times or hatred, not hunger or homelessness, nor bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture can separate you. Not your guilt, not your good deeds, not your greed, not... Not your stupidity, not your strengths, not your failures, not your addictions, not your spouse, not your children, not your parents, not your divorce, not your future, not your past. None of this faces us, Paul says. Because Jesus loves us. And then he says in some of the greatest words ever written, I'm absolutely convinced, Paul says, that nothing Nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way Jesus, our master, has embraced us. All glory be to God. Let us pray. Take us, O God... Take all of our lives and change us into a people whose great delight is to walk a little closer beside you along the way. And help us to listen this week to that tender, wonderful voice that says nothing can get between us and your love for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.